We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself. Because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order? Cashback guru? Low intro APR lover? With US Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. US Bank credit cards are issued by US Bank National Association ND. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. And did what Swaggy P do. <laughs> Teammates played great, and we um, came out with the victory, you know? I'm just trying to really get my, my NBA 2K rating up. And I, can, I, I just cannot take it. I, 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 just, I, I can't take it. You know, it's 12.02 right now. If they want to fire me at 12.05, I'll go home and find something to do. I'll have a good day. The Rotowire NBA podcast, sponsored as always by FanDuel.com. Nick Whalen here with James Anderson. It is Thursday, January 2nd, James, and the Minnesota Golden Gophers are Outback Bowl champions. Yeah, that's, that's what I hear. <laughs> did you watch the game at all? I did not watch the game. I would, I mean, I would go as far as to say that's probably the the biggest game in 20 years for the Gophers, or, or was the the Penn State or the Wisconsin games? Uh, earlier this season, were these bigger to think, you than the uh, Outback Bowl? I think the regular season games were probably bigger when they still had a chance to go mm. to a more prestigious a bowl game. Bowl. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I had the pleasure, of course, of seeing Wisconsin lose its fourth Rose Bowl of the decade. Um, great way to to bookend a decade that has also featured a Final Four loss and a national championship loss in basketball, as well as a couple losses to Rutgers during the regular season. Um, but yeah, a fitting end of the decade, I think, in the football realm. But we want to start today's spot. It's been a while. We, we took last week off, of course, with the holidays. 
but it's been a while since we've touched on the 2020 draft, which is now shaping up to be kind of one of the stranger classes in recent memory, especially at the top. Um, you know, we, we kind of knew it was going to be an international or kind of pseudo international heavy, um, you know, maybe top of the lottery with guys like LaMelo Ball, RJ Hampton, you know, American prospects playing overseas. Um, but now you throw in the James Wiseman situation, um, something that I, I think we might actually see more of going forward. You know, a guy like him who has really nothing to gain by playing college basketball, you know, can really only solidify his place maybe in the top three or the top five. Um, and even in the, the short time that we saw him at Memphis, I think he showed scouts enough um, to, to at least, you know, not slide out of like the mid-lottery. Like that's his absolute floor right now, you would think. So, you know, it's hard to to kind of, from our perspective, criticize that decision. You know, if you're a college basketball fan, if you're a Memphis fan, it's really frustrating. Um, you know, even I would obviously like more time to evaluate James Wiseman in these games, but it's hard to look at him and, and fault him for the decision that he made. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, how that affects teams' evaluations of him. Yeah, I think it just depends on the, the player and how they're wired, you know. I mean, I think uh, like Zion Williamson last year could have easily just done the same thing, but I think he actually really enjoyed playing right. for Duke and, and wanted to chase a national title. Uh, this Memphis team could have chased a national title in its own right, but I think it's clear that Weissman was using this as sort of a vehicle to get to the NBA and didn't really care about college basketball, which is, which is totally fine. Uh, you know, I think things are actually shaping up pretty well for him you know Lamella ball I know is the top some draft boards but mm -hmm. I mean he doesn't have great numbers from from playing in Australia uh Anthony Edwards has cooled off quite a bit in in recent weeks and um it just it seems like he could end up going first overall kind of by default yeah yeah I think he's he's a benefactor of the fact that this is not a 2017 type of class where even at this point in the year you know, you're looking at someone like like a Laurie Markkinen who had you know begun to establish himself at the time at Arizona. He ends up going seventh in that draft. You know, there's there's just not this like depth of you know star freshmen who are you know kind of establishing themselves as a legitimate top five, top ten prospect. So I think maybe that factored in to Wiseman's decision. The fact that he doesn't really have more than one or two guys he's really directly competing against. You know, and I, I think in his mind, if Anthony Edwards goes crazy during SEC play and you know, plays his way into the number one spot, that's fine. You know, Wiseman basically playing a quarter of a season at Memphis could still just slot in as, as the number two or the number three pick when you're talking about the kind of money that's on the line there. Um, but do you, do you think he'll get knocked at all? You know, you kind of touched on the the mentality, you know, and kind of the, the anti-Zion, I guess, in some ways. Um, you know, is, is, is that going to be something that we hear now over the next few weeks? Is his, his motor was already somewhat of a question mark, I think, coming out of high school. To me, watching his tape, it was more just he didn't have to try. You know, it wasn't like he was just was outright lazy. Um, but I think there will be people who are who are now critical of his decision to sit out when it's not an injury related issue. You know, I think the teams that would care the most about that are the teams that don't pick high in the draft. <laughs> right. And so, you know, like I, I think this was, you know, when Ben Simmons came out, I think there were a lot of knocks about just how sort of aloof he was at college, mm -hmm. how it just seemed like he really didn't care about uh, being there or, or really affecting wins and losses at LSU. And he still went first overall ahead of Brandon Ingram, who didn't really have those question marks. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think it's, you know, you look at what Wiseman can do physically uh, as long as he works out well for your team and, and looks like he 
you know, and answers the right questions during the interview process and everything like that, I I think it's negligible at best, especially the right. teams that are picking uh, near the top of the draft. The Atlanta Hawks would be hard-pressed to look James Wiseman <laughs> in the eye and question his competitiveness, especially on the defensive end, as they sit there at 7-27. and 27 right. Yeah, I mean, they, the they took night. Cam Reddish last yeah. year, so. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, get, we'll get into that in a little bit. But looking at the FanDuel Sportsbook has odds right now for the number one pick, and they've remained fairly steady toward the top. Uh, LaMelo Ball has actually fallen now. He was the favorite to go number one for a while. He's at plus 350. He's third. Anthony Edwards is the current favorite, plus 100. Wiseman close behind at plus 120. LaMelo plus 350. Cole Anthony, another guy who there's starting to be some rumblings. Maybe we don't see him again for North Carolina. Kind of a similar situation. I, I think he maybe quite or hasn't quite built his profile to the point of Wiseman, but another player that even if he doesn't play another second of basketball at North Carolina, a guy that would be really, really hard to imagine falling out of that top 10 and, and certainly the lottery. Yeah, for sure. I, it's just, you know, it's starting to look just like a pretty weak class, at least in terms of uh, how confident we're going to be about right. these guys being good. Like I'll be confident that a few guys that go in the top 10 or 12 mm-hmm end up being really good NBA players but it's just that there's so much uncertainty with all these guys for various reasons like with with Weissman it's it's really just about effort and uh understanding of the game where like he has the tools to be you know one of the two or three best centers in the league but he doesn't seem to necessarily always bring it defensively and mm-hmm. uh so like that's the question mark with him with with Cole Anthony I mean he shot less than 70 percent from the free throw line before getting hurt uh, the three-point shot was going in at a decent clip, but you kind of worry about that, that free throw percentage, especially for a guard uh, with Lamella Ball shooting 25% from three in Australia. Uh, mm. I mean, that's that's a red flag, especially given uh, his brother's struggles with, with the three ball. And, I mean, they both kind of have funky-looking shots. Uh, you know, Anthony Edwards, I think, has – he looks the part, but then when you look at his efficiency, it's not really where you'd like it to be either for a guy that could go yep. first overall – um it's it's just a really weird draft where i think there's more like volatility i guess yep. with the guys that are going to go top five top seven yeah i think you put it perfectly i'm hesitant to say this is a bad draft or a weak draft because we've been burned by that too many times in the past but i think saying it's an uncertain draft is completely fair i mean i, I always go back to the honest draft in 2013 and I, I don't know that this one is quite as chaotic or kind of disparate for for elite talent at the top you know i mean that was the the anthony bennett draft of course i mean you had you had a plotting big man uh and this was 2013 this this draft wasn't in 2008 you had a plotting big man in cody zeller who went fourth alex len went fifth i mean it was just not a good draft at the top but later on you got Giannis, you got gobert you got stephen adams you got mason Plumley. those are the four leaders in in value over replacement player in that draft all of them went 12th or later um it didn't end up being a great draft by any means but you had you know a lot of guys kind of in the late lottery mid first round cj mccollum you know um kelly olenic a lot of a lot of decent role players came out and i I could kind of see that being the case here where you have a couple big hits maybe in the top seven or eight and then a couple probably big time busts out of that group it kind of reminds me more of the uh i mean we didn't really think of this draft this way at the time but like the the fultz ball Mm -hmm. uh tatum like you know I, i could see a guy that goes you know where Donovan Mitchell went or something ending up being like yeah. one of the three best players from the class and then I could see just some downright busts up near the top and 
you know, we're, we're, you're going to probably get a couple all-stars out of this class because there's just so much talent on the board. It's just, mm-hmm. you know, like RJ Hampton, I could see being the best player from this class. I could also see him just being a complete bust, you know. I mean, yeah. there's just really wide-ranging outcomes with guys like that. Uh, what, do you, what do you think about – so, like, the top the top player, uh, at least by projections, who is not either a freshman or someone playing overseas is Tyrese Halliburton – Mm-hmm. out of Iowa State uh statistically I think he's gonna grade out really well uh the free throw percentage you know a little little low for a point guard uh 73 percent but mm-hmm. the three-point percentage up over 42 percent for the second year in a row uh big time steals guy has that big long body that is pretty rare to find in point guards but you and I were talking about his jump shot you know if you just watch his form on his three-point shot you would be shocked to see how often it goes in and it's it's a comical shooting form and not in the same way that it's not like a Lonzo ball one that you like worry about it just I've never seen an NBA player shoot a ball like that ever it's kind of um I guess maybe Jaron Jackson's is kind of like that one I thought of too where Jackson at least has more of kind of a longer follow-through like Hal Burton you know almost kind of puts his feet together does a little hop and then just kind of pushes it. Yeah, it's uh, and it doesn't look great, but I mean, it's going in at forty-two percent. Know, saying it, saying it doesn't look game. great, I feel like is an an understatement. But it's just uh, but it's not a bad it, shot. Like I don't it, look at it and say you need to fix this because, like, mechanically, it's not terrible. Well, once it, if you just judge the the shot by the arc and the spin and mm-hmm. everything, like it, the ball looks good. Like I mean, it, it yeah. he, he has a lot of clean makes. It's just. Before the ball is released, you're just like, whoa! Like this guy's it's this guy might be a top too. five pick, right? Um, but you know, I mean, if he's, you know, he's pretty explosive and and pretty long, and you know, maybe he can be a defense first, uh, like defense and passing, and then mm-hmm. just hit you know thirty five percent of your threes. That maybe that gets it done. Um, I I'm really a big fan of point guards that are built like him where he's, you know, six, five, uh, 180 pounds, probably something like Seven that. Foot wingspan. Really long. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's kind of the most proven, I guess, of the guys that are going to go high if, you know, I mean, he, he probably has maybe the lowest ceiling, I guess, but I, I don't know. I, I think he's just a really interesting name to keep an eye on because if his, you know, if he continues this type of play, uh, in the Big 12 and shows well at the, you know, when he's doing measurements and stuff like that for teams. I mean, maybe he's a guy that just a team falls in love with that, that needs a point guard. And, you know, whose jumper do you trust more, his or LaMelo Balls? I mean, I think it's a, yeah. it's a fair question. Yeah, I mean, Halbert was a guy that kind of late in the draft process last year seemed like he might come out and – you know, his numbers last year are fairly unimpressive, but he wasn't, you know, he wasn't a five-star recruit. Um, you know, he was a guy who I think they kind of looked at as probably a two- or three-year player at the minimum. Um, and I think he made the right call to come back. I mean, I think a big part of his appeal last year was he was super efficient, even as a freshman. He was, you know, almost 70% on two-point attempts. Um, still had those struggles at the free-throw line, but he also had 28 turnovers in uh, over 1,100 minutes. So, I mean, he had this kind of crazy assist-to-turnover ratio uh, for a freshman and but if you really want to poke holes I mean the turnovers are way up this year um, I mean he's playing just about the same amount of minutes a little like one and a half more minutes per game and he's at two and a half turnovers versus 0.8 per game 
last year. Uh, but he's also taken on a lot more responsibility. He's basically tripled his scoring. He's doubled his assists. Um, I mean, he's averaging a full steal more per game. I, I think he clearly made the right call. And it, it's, as we just talked about, with the way that the top of this draft is shaping up, like it, it wouldn't really shock me if while Cole Anthony and James Weissman are, are sitting out and Hampton and, and Ball are you know, also injured right now and just kind of toiling overseas, like if he's a guy who could maybe not play his way past all those guys, but at least play his way into like that top five to eight type of discussion. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a point guard heavy draft, uh, especially at the top. I mean, you could, I'm looking at Draft Express right now of their top eight uh five or point guards and then anthony edwards they have as a shooting guard but i mean the idea with him is that he's maybe a primary ball handler as well so uh you know point guard is one of the more common positions i mean it's not a it's not like wings where they're really tough to find so i think that makes things interesting too where uh you know if if any of the small forwards want to take a step forward over the next month or two you can Mm -hmm. really uh, help yourself because at a certain point you're gonna have teams where it's just like well we don't really need a point guard like right. you know the grizzlies aren't gonna take a point guard well you look at yeah, that's the thing look at some of the teams that are likely to be picking the up there. Take the warriors guard. don't necessarily yeah. need a point guard they yeah. have two right now who are all-stars i mean even um i mean a team like the pelicans who knows what they'll need at the time but you know they have at least somebody who's in mind for that for that kind of role in lots well, ball going forward the hawks don't need a point guard how great of a fit would uh james weissman be with the warriors like that would be that'd be pretty awesome just I mean, the, to right. see him kind of like come up with guys like that and you know you think that they would be able to maximize right. his effort on both ends exactly yeah i think for a guy like that who kind of has some of those underlying concerns that's almost the ideal situation um you know even if he doesn't play the next 10 years in golden state like just having james weissman the asset um you know whether he's actually like a real big time contributor for them next year which i think by default he would be just because they're they're likely to still be pretty shallow even once their stars are healthy. Um, I think that's kind of going to be the most fun storyline to track is, you know, what the Warriors do. Because so many of these other teams are just, it's going to be the same. They're they're more than one player away. Well, you're right. It's going to be the usual suspects. I mean, like Sacramento is just a few games out of last in the West. I mean, it's going to be kind of the same thing over and over again where a lot of these very questionable prospects are going to go to very questionable organizations and it's just (laughs) going to be the same cycle. But, I mean, this, this is unique. Like, when's the last time we've had a real situation like this. I guess, I guess Boston, you know, getting Tatum and, and Brown the way that they did um, was, was similar. I mean, Fultz and, and Philly kind of should have been that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that obviously went haywire. But yeah, I mean, in a, in a lot of ways, this could kind of be a more modern version of the the Pistons having their opportunity to add a Carmelo or a Bosch or a Wade. And obviously they, they messed that up taking Darko. But I mean, I mean, I think this is almost bigger than the Celtics because the Warriors have reached bigger heights and I think have an even better supporting cast than what than what Tatum and Brown were brought into. So yeah, the more I think about this, I think uh, just based on the amount of point guards versus the amount of non-point guards, I think it might be Wiseman and Edwards in some order, one, two. At least that's, you know, there, maybe there's a, a team that picks first that doesn't need a point guard or that does need a point guard uh, and they grab one of these guys. But I think the vast majority of these teams, when you're looking at their nucleus the the spots that they have accounted for include point guard yeah right i mean i kind of going back to teams like memphis atlanta you're not going to pair trey young with Lamelo ball or trey young with cole anthony um, is, is that a mistake to think that way like i mean we we make fun of the kings all the time for not taking luka Doncic. Um, i don't want to cut the kings any slack but i think this is sort of a different situation where 
there isn't a Luka Doncic in this draft. You know, like the, it's not like you're passing on a guy that is a clear, right. you know, future All Star because you already have a person at that position. Like these right. guys are all pretty risky. Yep. So it would make sense to kind of let team need be at least a tiebreaker. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm of the belief generally that, especially at the top of the draft, and we've seen this played out multiple times. Like, unless you have an absolute stud locked in at a, you know, pro- probably a veteran, you know, I, I don't think you should draft for need. Well, and, I mean, I think both Trey Young and John Moran, I think, are special enough that yeah, it just what what do you because so both of those guys don't defend uh, right. The point guards we're talking about here, maybe with the exception of Hampton. Uh, mm-hmm. don't project to be good defenders. Uh, well, actually, no. Um, Halliburton, I yes. guess. You could you could maybe talk yourself into Halliburton being a guy you could pair with one of those guys, sure. uh, especially given his size and his defense. But, mm-hmm. um, I mean, he, he, I just don't see how either of those teams would take uh, LaMelo Ball or Cole Anthony. No, I that would be tough to justify. I think Atlanta especially because, I mean, you, you basically took – you took a shooting guard and a you know small forward type, uh, two wings in the last draft, and even though one of those guys is looking like he you know is off to a historically bad start to his career, which really isn't a surprise to anyone who's watched Cam Reddish, especially at Duke, um, you know I think they'd be a little bit hesitant to double down on that. But you know, like we said earlier, I, th- I think what the Warriors do is going to be a really interesting kind of wrinkle for this draft, and um, yeah, I mean the. The middle of the lottery is just a, a, a big-time mystery to me. I, I do want to ask you specifically about LaMelo Ball, who you, you messaged me last week in the office and basically asked just, like, why is LaMelo Ball as highly touted as he is? And I've kind of felt the same way. I mean, I, you know, I've followed LaMelo fairly closely over the last couple of years, and he's gone from, you know, like really kind of interesting prospect as like a ninth grader to basically a joke for a couple of years you know he's bouncing around to like charter high schools in lithuania and now he's back overseas and seemingly out of nowhere it took like two games overseas and now all of a sudden he's decidedly a top five to seven prospect in this draft i mean like we said he has the third best odds to go number one that is a legitimate possibility right now and you know the, the way you kind of framed it is like what what about the lonzo ball experience has gone so well that you'd want to draft a player with you know not the same game but you know kind of it's a similar type of game a similar type of body you know obviously a similar upbringing a lot carries a lot of similar baggage like and i agree with you in a lot of ways like I, i'm not totally out on lonzo yet but it's not like that's been a, a smashing success and I, I don't see why a team would be rushing out to spend even more draft capital on on this guy's younger brother yeah if uh if Josh Jackson's brother was was in this draft class, I don't think he would be uh, being talked about as like a top twenty pick, Absolutely. let, let alone a top five pick. Now, stock. like that's maybe unfair to Lonzo Ball, but um, still, it's it's you know the same questions that we had with Lonzo are questions with Lamelo is jumper, and Lonzo at least hit him at a at a good clip at UCLA, whereas right. his brother. Uh, shot 25% from beyond the arc in Australia. I know he's playing with guys that are quite a bit older than him, but you know, three-point accuracy seems like something that probably is you know the least likely thing right. to be affected by playing against older competition. So uh, you know, he's got good size, he's got good handles, but do you take a point guard first overall if you're not? sure at all if he's going to be able to shoot uh threes at an above average club uh, in the current nba we have seen that experiment fail over and over i think in not like having a point guard who 
doesn't you know is, is basically a huge liability from three is not a winning recipe unless and and even this is somewhat debatable unless it's a ben simmons situation where your point guard can also play power forward and center you know which lamella mm-hmm. ball can't do and it's not going to average nine rebounds nine assists and then be a great defender um but, i mean the lonzo comparison is interesting because it seems like forever ago but yeah, i mean he was a 55 percent field goal shooter at ucla he was a 73 percent uh, finisher on twos, forty-one percent from three. Like the question mark wasn't can Lonzo shoot? It was will this form kind of hold up? I mean, the, the shooting numbers were fantastic at UCLA. He kind of had his own little step back that that seemed to work really well. He was shooting consistently from NBA distance at UCLA. He was a much better free throw shooter in college. I mean, sixty-seven percent. It was a concern, but you know, I don't think anybody thought this guy's going to be like a sub fifty percent free throw shooter in the NBA, but. Uh, at the same time, I mean, like you said, I I don't see what's different enough about Melo's game. I mean, I, he has a little bit more size. I think he's a little bit more projectable as a defender, but the size is more height and length. It's not bulkiness, and that's that's something that I think Lonzo has struggled with more on the offensive end than the defensive end. You know, I think you, you talk about guys being slight, and usually it's you know you're worried they're going to get bullied on defense. And with Lonzo, it's more he just hasn't been able to finish in the NBA, and it's gotten to the point where we're going on year three now of him just avoiding the free throw line altogether um and Lamelo, I, I know like kind of the selling point for him offensively is he has this great mid-range floater that he pulls out from like anywhere from four to 12 feet I, I just don't see that being a reliable shot in the nba yeah, that's not a way to get to the free throw line and you know i know he's not the exact same player as lonzo but it, it's just it's just a little puzzling to me that he's considered this good of a prospect like, i think he should go i think he should go top five i just don't i, don't even, I mean sure in this i draft. would take him over cole anthony like it, like that's I, you know yeah. one where it's just like i've all the concerns i have about Lamelo are concerns i have about cole anthony and cole anthony's like six inches shorter yeah. so well, i think those guys are about equally likely to pan out in, sure. for different reasons um but i just yeah i can't see i can't see taking him number one would you rather have Halburton? do I think I think so. I think so. Right? <laughs> I, think, I mean, I think with Halburn, at, like at the very least, you're getting like a really good role player. Yeah, I don't really see. I mean, if he just goes from being this 42 percent three point shooter in college to shooting 30 percent in the NBA, then I guess he he could be kind of a bust. But as long as he shoots like 34 percent or 35 yeah. percent, like defensively and just mm-hmm. with his passing and length and ability to switch on to, to two guards and, and maybe even some threes i just think his floor is high enough that i yeah. would take him over lamello because i just don't buy the idea of a guy who's got lamello's efficiency issues ever getting to the point where he's so good that he's like one of these mm-hmm. elite primary ball handlers like i could see him getting to the point where maybe he's like in the 10 to 20 range of point guards in the NBA. But if that's his ceiling and his floor is really low, then I would just take uh, Halliburton. Right. I think one of the selling points with Halliburton too, is he, he's a guy you want handling the ball because he's, you know, a, a great creator. And you know, that, as we said, especially last year was just so good assisted turnover wise, but he also, I don't think needs to be the primary ball handler. And from what I've seen of both LaMelo and Cole Anthony, like, those are guys oh, I think yeah. Anthony especially and part of it's just the situation at North Carolina but like he almost wants to be in that Trey Young type of role yeah. and maybe maybe there are teams that are willing to do that I mean if, if it works out it, it typically works out really well but if it doesn't work out it typically goes really really poorly and he's another guy like Trey Young just in terms of his size I mean not very projectable on defense and I, I think if if it goes wrong with Anthony or LaMelo you know they're going to kind of go down swinging and it's either boom or bust and I, I think with Halliburton 
he can play some point guard he can also contribute off ball a lot more than the other two guys can do you think it would be just in terms of his draft stock do you think uh or do you think cole anthony should come back if he gets medically cleared or do you think so you think he can do more harm than good by coming back uh, I mean, I, I think he could come back, be awesome as a sophomore, and no, I don't mean like go back to school for another year. I mean like return this year oh, like if he gets oh. medically cleared like, oh, down sure, the stretch. Sure. Um, that's tough. I mean, I, I think I think it would it would maybe benefit him narrative wise to come back. You know, kind of be the you know if it, if if the big names domestically are Edwards, Wiseman, and Anthony, and Wiseman sitting out, and that's going to continue to kind of be a storyline, even if it's in the background for the next few months. You know, it's. Cole Anthony coming back and if, if if North Carolina wins games and like he has a nice memorable run whether it's in the NCAA tournament or the ACC tournament that could be huge but North Carolina is terrible with and without him and if he comes back and this turns into kind of a Simmons situation where maybe he's like in and out of the lineup and all of a sudden he has a minor injury and misses the last few games of the year and just kind of fizzles out maybe it hurts him but I mean th- as we've been talking like the the rest of the lottery to me just isn't strong enough. Like he can only fall so far. I think he's the type of guy where he will get picked apart in the pre-draft process mm-hmm. uh, to the point where I think it would do more help than harm. I think for him to return mm-hmm. because if he's feeling 100% physically and he's cleared and everything and he's he's feeling good when he's playing pickup and everything. If he were to have like an awesome final month and go on, you know, take the Tar Heels on like a run to the Sweet 16 or something, I think he could play himself into the top five. Whereas I think just right now, with the numbers he put up before the injury and his size, the fact he's just gonna like all his measurements are gonna be really poor. Like yeah. he's just not gonna really. test well. And you look at a, a point guard who's, who's shooting under 70% from the line, who's that size. I think there's going to be teams that look at mm-hmm. him in the middle of the top 10 and just say, you know, yeah, this guy might end up just being a backup point guard. Yeah, I, I think it's been a little disappointing. And obviously the injuries are the main reason. Um, but, I mean, he was somebody I think people were really expecting even more from before he got hurt. Um, and I think both him and Mello, or LaMelo, um, are guys that I feel like for people younger than us even are a much bigger deal. Like you look at Cole Anthony has almost 600,000 instagram followers tyrese halliburton has nineteen thousand. you know i and lamello i'm trying to look up right now i mean he has i would guess over a million five million instagram followers um i mean i don't don't know if you saw over the weekend there was a rumor that a shoe company an unnamed shoe company has offered him a hundred million dollars which i certainly do not believe but i think his his like a lamello especially his appeal as a brand is like way bigger than we even understand right more than i care to understand no it's it's uh Maybe maybe a sad statement of, <laughs> of our society that Lamella Ball is this big of a deal, but uh, yeah, no, I, I I get it. Like from a marketing standpoint, if you're a shoe company, all you really care about is that like eight to fourteen, eight to sixteen demographic, and yep. he kills it in that demographic. So yeah, uh, I guess it makes sense. But um, I don't think it's to the point that it would affect a team's draft decision. I, I, I well, think like, there's enough negative publicity that could come with that. 12-year-olds don't buy season tickets, you know. No, so <laughs> Typically not. No. Uh, no, that's a good point. All right, let's uh, shift away from the draft real quickly. Just hit on a few things before we get out of here. Um, let's let's start with the Hawks since we, we kind of touched on them already. I mean, they will almost certainly be one of the teams that's vying for the number one pick uh, come lottery time in June. They are now officially the worst team in the NBA. 
Uh, they went one and one without Trey Young. He missed two games. Sounds like he's going to be back now on Friday. Um, I mean, they are 28th in defense. They are dead last in offense, which to me is extremely concerning, you know, based on the playmaker that they have at the top. They have basically won like three games um, over the last month and a half. They have had two separate 10 plus game losing streaks already this season. Um, you know, the return of John Collins, I think, has at least to me, been about as expected. I mean, he's kind of been an 18 and 10, you know, with a couple assists, a block or two on most nights, but, you know, kind of looking like a type of player who, at least at this point in his career, is more numbers than actual, you know, winning type of production. And I mean, I don't think anyone had sky high expectations for the Hawks, but I think they were certainly in that, could they be the eight seed? You know, I think a lot of people had them in the eight to 10 range in the East, as opposed to, right now legitimately worse than the Knicks and you know the the worst team in the NBA with only seven wins yeah it's it's really bad uh they had a pretty brutal offseason uh including the draft you know I mean they I don't really know how they went into the year with out a backup point guard right. and the Cam Reddish pick was panned uh pretty widely at the time and it looks even worse now uh, even the trading up for DeAndre Hunter seemed like a that sketchy move. To me. Like, like, I don't mind Reddish where they got him. Like at that point, it still seemed like fairly worth it. I, I mean, it it's tough to say which one of those is worse because Hunter Hunter at least is clearly a rotation player. Yeah, but he's not the type of guy you trade up to get. You know, like you, you I know take that guy at four. They clearly wanted to address their defense, but. It's very rare for a wing defender to really, really lift up a defensive unit by himself. Yeah. Like, and it clearly hasn't happened. No, and uh, yeah, so that you just look at the roster around Trey Young. There's just nobody else on this roster that positively contributes to winning games. You know, even like I, I was a pretty big Kevin Herter fan coming into the year, and he's not shooting well really at all. I think he's like under thirty four point eight percent from three what what was he from the field 39 yeah i mean that's that's not good um so and that and that's your best shooter next to trey young like the other than hurt hunter the rest of the guys are like mm-hmm. well under 30 percent so um yeah it's it's just a really shaky nucleus i mean trey young he's good uh but he's a flawed player as well and you need to have several other pretty good players around him i think to kind of uh, make up for his shortcomings so you know this is uh the hawks you know I, before the season there were people who thought they could make the playoffs i don't know if they get to the playoffs while travis schlank uh still has this job on the hot seat i mean like what what's their i mean they have to hit on like multiple yeah high picks over the next couple of years i think to get a, a yeah. competent core around the problem of them doing trying to copy the warriors blueprint and like very publicly trying to do that <laughs> is it's an impossible blueprint to copy that is just a i don't want to say it's a you know three separate strokes of luck because they still had to make the picks you know the draymond pick was was savvy even though every other team in the league claims they were just about to take him the clay pick where they got him was was perfect and obviously how steph worked out but i mean it's just not feasible yeah you're lucky to hit on like one of those types of picks every like six or seven years let alone in a span of like five years hitting on three of them and think of the draft capital that boston had that we talked about and like they're in a good spot you know jalen brown and tatum both look great they have 
no finals appearances since it's not like the, you know that was kind of their ultimate lottery ticket like you can ask for better draft capital than they had and they've they've built a very good team but not a team that's really been a serious contender. i mean look at what look at all the top six picks the sixers had yeah. and they whiffed on half of them right you know phoenix and, i mean phoenix is in another level when you talk about incompetence but i mean they've had better picks than atlanta's had and they're you know atlanta's basically attempting to build this team from scratch and it seems like they've hit on i guess one pick in trey young um but I'm, I'm curious to see where where are you at on him individually like this season progression wise i mean he's at almost 29 points a game which is which is awesome the assists have been great um but i i do think i i think i was expecting a little bit more just overall progression in terms of him did you just think it would result in more wins i guess yeah i guess that's what i'm trying to say i because like it i i don't know how you could look at his numbers and like be disappointed but but they haven't even been competitive in a lot of these games that's that's the thing is how empty are these numbers i mean they're getting routinely blasted i kind of think it almost all has to just go on the supporting cast to me i i mean i don't know how any like maybe james harden or like steph curry on this team could lift them yeah to to relevance but the the players around him are just so bad i mean i think a lot of people underestimated at least in the preseason just how bad rookies usually are and they were relying on mostly all either rookies or second year players or um you know i mean they bruno fernando their starting center like i mean that there's behind uh, Trey Young, their next leader in value over replacement is Damian Jones. And that'll obviously be Collins in a matter of weeks once he gets enough games. But man, I mean, it's. And you're even, I mean, even some of the guys who production wise have been okay, like surrounding Trey Young with Jabari Parker. Well, and like I, the worst possible. I, I think John Collins is overrated in a, in a real life standpoint. I, mm-hmm. I just don't, I don't see him being. Um, you know, a guy that really helps you win on like a playoff level. I think he's a guy that could put up good numbers. Uh, but you he's, know, he kind of reminds me of a um, you know Julius Randle, Marvin Bagley yeah. archetype. Yeah, exactly. Right now, which which could change. I mean, he's still young, but um, but I that, agree with you. like those guys haven't been on winning teams. Um, the I mean, they basically need to hit in the draft. They need to hit on a wing, and they need to hit on maybe yeah. two wings. I mean, maybe yeah. an, maybe another big man. But like they have just. After point guard, I, I think you could make a case that they could upgrade everywhere. So yeah. it's just, I don't know how much of this can go on Trey Young. I think that if he had good players around him, mm-hmm. I think he would be like a 12 assisted game type of guy. And, you know, I think that he's maybe taken some bad shots this year just because of how bad the players are that mm-hmm. he has to pass to. Um, you know, I, I think, well, who do you like more out of uh, Trey Young and, and John Morant at this point? And my well, my heart says John Moran. That's no question. I mean, <laughs> he checks all the boxes. I mean, coincidentally, they're you know bringing back my favorite uniforms ever this <laughs> season. So it feels like he's playing every game in the Vancouver uniforms. Um, so maybe it's kind of unfair to judge with with that in mind. But it's still got to be Trey Young, I think, until further notice. Um, you know, that could absolutely change in a couple of months. But like you said, I mean, even if the team is like seven and twenty, whatever, whatever they are right now. Um, 28 and a half points in the NBA is still no joke. And, you know, he's pr- doing it on pretty good efficiency with, like you said, a horrific supporting cast. So, I mean, Morant, I think Morant has honestly been a little bit better than I expected so mm-hmm. far. I mean, I, I kind of thought he would struggle a little bit more, especially with his size, but I think he's 
he's shown to be more durable and he, probably even a little more athletic, uh, at least relative to kind of to standard NBA players than I thought he would look. Um, so maybe it's more of a compliment to Trey Young, and I don't know. It's, it's easy to be hard on a guy who's just well, that bad on just defense. Just think about think about how bad Trey Young was in her, his first couple months in the NBA versus yeah. how good John right. Morant's been. I also don't see Morant making that crazy leap in the second half, but right. I mean, Trey Young was so so bad. I mean, like Cam Reddish level bad, but on a on a grander scale because he was doing so much more. And the Grizzlies have a they have the twentieth ranked offense, yep. which obviously it's not. And even in the top half, but that's still, I think, ahead of where yeah. everyone would have had them coming into the year. So, new coach, um, not a great supporting cast there either. No, better, I mean a, a better one, which isn't saying anything. But but you're uh, still, I mean, that that roster is basically Jaron Jackson, and then you know Valanciunas, who's been in and out of the lineup, and then it's a mishmash of Jay Crowder, Grayson Allen, Javon. You know those. Yeah, I mean, even as I think Jaron Jackson's been disappointing this year, but I would still take. Jaws supporting cast long term yeah. over uh, oh, trays. No question about that. Yeah, um, I want to talk quickly about Utah and Denver. You've been you've been on Utah from the start. I've been kind of on Denver from the start. Um, I know. Do you do you still view Utah as a legitimate? I think it's fair to say dark horse now title contender. No, not really. Uh, Did you feel that way at the start of the year? I mean, I thought they were a legitimate threat to come out of the west i didn't think they matched up well at all with the teams i thought could come out of the east so um but i thought they could come out of the west if everything broke right and i don't think that any longer just because uh did you not see they added jordan clarkson (laughs) we're not getting i mean i know he's uh been hurt but we're not getting the mike conley i thought we'd be getting and i think that's a big part of this you know if, if you were getting mike conley from a year ago I think that really changes things, but he was, you know, just so bad earlier in the year, and you know, when when Father Time comes for point guards, it, it usually comes in a hurry, and that's that's the part that's just not looking that great. And I kind of thought Donovan Mitchell might might have taken even a, a bigger step forward than he has. It seems like he he gets like marginally better every year, but not. You know, he hasn't had that one year where he's just gone from right. pretty good to, to really good. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I think they're a good team that will make the playoffs, but I, I don't think they're really a threat to come out of the West anymore. I'm with you on Mitchell. I it, It's tough to be critical of a guy. I mean, they've won eight of their last nine. You know, they're, they're starting to look a lot more like the team that we thought they would be. Um, and it's, it's tough to be critical of a guy who's averaging 25, 5, and 4. Um, and, and that's kind of been the unquestioned number one guy since Conley went out and they've looked a lot better with that being the case but yeah I, it does feel like he's still in a lot of ways the same guy that he was as a rookie and you know I, I think he had kind of immediately drew Dwayne Wade comparisons and you know, Wade continued to obviously get better and better and better and better over the next you know not only two three years but next six or seven years and not that Mitchell hasn't gotten better but I, I'm with you that he hasn't he hasn't taken that leap I mean I, I think there's a there's a world in which he's like a 28 29 point per game score this year and it's not all scoring but he is he just hasn't kind of jumped from good young star to superstar yet and with the way that the nba works now and guys can make that leap in year two or year three uh i, I guess i i thought he would have made it by now without looking where do you think the jazz rank uh, in defensive rating not that good I, I checked this i think last week when i was doing a video spot i, I will guess 18th oh well they're not that bad they're 10th but yeah, like okay I would have, if you told me they were 10th 
coming into the year, I would have assumed Rudy Gobert missed significant time with an injury. Right. I, I don't know. I mean, it's just hard to picture a Rudy Gobert team being outside of the mm-hmm. top five defensively. So I think that's uh, an issue. And I mean, they're they're maybe sacrificing some defense for offense with with some of the players yep. they're playing. But uh, that that part, their recipe to me for for being a uh, potentially a 60 win team was just you know awesome defense top 10 offense and yep. the defense has just been a little bit below that yeah that's i mean that's obviously been their identity for the last few years but to, to me the issue with them was always depth and conley just not looking anything like the mike conley that we've come to know for the last 12 years or whatever it's been is the biggest reason for that and i mean the fact that they were kind of forced to make that clarkson deal to add i mean to add someone like that who's ultimately pretty marginal and get rid of someone in Exum who they obviously invested a lot in both in draft capital and contract value and to basically sell off somebody who's not giving you anything for a guy who's an okay backup guard I mean that kind of speaks to their level I think Mm -hmm. of desperation and they went into the year looking like maybe having the best starting five in the west Mm -hmm. and you know kind of having a a chasm after that and I think even swapping out Exum for Clarkson doesn't solve that issue And, and to me that's still their biggest hurdle long term like I, w- I would count on conley at least coming around to some degree when, once he's healthy but you know if your sixth seventh men are the ninth or tenth men on some of the other better teams in the conference i think that's a pretty big issue yeah i mean i think they they whiffed on some of their their bench signings i mean yes. jeff jeff green they already admitted already that they already admitted that was a whiff uh emmanuel, Mo- emmanuel moudier uh has obviously not given them man has not been what, good. what they were expecting so yeah, they they had a great signing in Bogdanovich, but they mm-hmm. followed that up with some pretty mediocre signings for the bench. It's been a similar story for Denver. They won 9 out of 10 before getting killed by Houston two nights ago. They lost by 26 in that one. But Nikola Jokic picked it up quite a bit since that sluggish start over his last 11. He's at 22 points per game, 10 rebounds, 7.5 assists, um, 47% from three, although he's, he's only taking 39 per game but um, when he plays like this uh, this is the Denver team that I think we thought we would get they're super they're super deep although they're not they're not playing as many guys as last year like some of the players who you know uh, uh, Torrey Craig Malik Beasley Monte Morris like some of those guys who were big big players for them last year have kind of been in and out or been in reduced roles for a lot of the year and part of that's been a guy like Will Barton just playing so much better than last year and being healthy for, for much more of this season than he was last year and when he's playing 34 minutes a game that kind of sucks up a lot of what those other wing guys were doing but to me Denver is still in that same spot where it's looking like they're probably not going to win the west in the regular season like I thought they would you know just just got off to too slow of a start and you know I mean they're they're only three and a half back I guess of the Lakers but barring an injury to LA I I think they're in the driver's seat Um, but I, I still don't see Denver as a legitimate title contender to me they're they're in that same spot as utah where you know maybe second Mm -hmm. round you know maybe western conference finals if if everything breaks right you know obviously they they were close last year but even though they have the depth that utah doesn't have i I still don't feel great enough about their top two top three and part of the reason is you know jamal murray isn't the player that um that donovan mitchell is but kind of a similar trajectory in terms of i wouldn't say a stalled development but not really progressing level by level year by year Right. Yeah, I think that they they would need injuries to both the Lakers and the Clippers to get out of the West, and I think I would even take the Rockets over them in a seven-game mm-hmm. series. And I mean, I might... <laughs> this team lost to Portland last year. Yeah, I, 
I might even take the Mavericks over them in a in a playoff series. So I think the Nuggets and Jazz are both, like you said, they're right there in terms mm-hmm. of teams that can win games in the regular season, but are probably flawed in the playoffs. They're one of those teams that, like, if if the two seven is like Denver OKC, I, w- I would I would worry a little bit if I was a Mavs fan. I, I wouldn't pick OKC, but I wouldn't. I, they're not a team that I would be like uber confident about any matchup, even no, no matter what the seed is. And it's you know with Donovan Mitchell, I think that. The hope was that he would become like a top fifteen player mm-hmm. with Jamal Murray. You know, I think for the Nuggets to be a legitimate, you know, threat to get to the finals, they kind of needed him to emerge as maybe like a top thirty, top thirty five yeah. player. And I think that's just asking a little bit too much of both those guys. Yeah, absolutely. All right, we'll wrap this thing up. I know you have baseball mag stuff to work on. Um, I'll be back on the mic later this afternoon, actually, uh, with Alex Barutha. So we'll we'll pump out two episodes today to, to kind of make up for the lull the last week. But appreciate you taking the time, and we'll be back at it next week.